Okay, Rebels, welcome to another edition of Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobson, joined by my wife, Laura. Are you catching us live at Rebel Live every Monday and Friday on Facebook? It's facebook.com slash Dobson, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, current events, news, all the craziness that's going on in this Rebel world right there on Rebel Live. And throughout the day, every single day, you can follow me on Instagram stories on Instagram at Rebel Parenting. Let's jump into the broadcast. There is a quote from the book today I want to read to you, and it says, when you allow your friend to talk, even when it brings tears, you are among those who know how to effectively love others in their time of trial. I got to tell you, it is time to break out the tissue boxes because we've got a tearjerker of a broadcast for you today. This is Rebel Parenting. Our guest today is Sarah Beckman. And she's talking about her book. I found it so fascinating. It's called Alongside. And truthfully, this was by far the most emotional program we've recorded. And to me, it's beautiful that tears can show some of the deepest love we are able to express. And we do on this broadcast. Uh, We have a lot of tears on today's broadcast. And it's because we have a deep love. We discuss true friendship and what it means to walk alongside somebody in their darkest hour. I thank Sarah Beckman so much for her vulnerability and her honesty throughout this book and this broadcast. Without any further ado, please welcome Sarah Beckman and alongside on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Sarah, thank you for joining Rebel Parenting today. What a neat topic and what an interesting story. This book, Alongside, is so fascinating. Um, You're talking about hospitality and building community and what to do when someone's in grief and how to meet people where they're at. These are all topics near and dear to the Rebel Parenting heart. So thanks for being on the broadcast today. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Sarah... Not only with you know myself and Laura and you, but all of us listening have either gone through hard times or witnessed other people going through hard times. I remember one of my first experiences of where I felt like I did it right. There's a guy here in town I buy records from. Uh, he's kind of a hippie guy, and the record store, obviously it's a record store. They don't really exist that much anymore. <laughs> He and his dad ran that place for years, and I came in one day and found out his dad had passed away. Now, I didn't know either of their names. They knew me on site. I knew them on site. We'd say hi when I bought records. That's literally the extent of our relationship. But I felt so bad and hopeless, helpless. I didn't know what to do. And in a moment of desperation, a friend of mine owns a restaurant in town called Garden of the Gods Gourmet. I went over and they do prepackaged meals that are frozen. I bought six meals that were frozen and I went straight back and I said, hey, I know that when people are sad, sometimes we forget to eat. I just thought I'd bring you some food. And we've been friends ever since. We now know each other's name and we couldn't come from more different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. But somehow that spoke to him and I was blessed because I got to help out, but we don't always do it very well. You've been, you had 11 weeks where you were bedridden during a pregnancy, four back surgeries. What was that experience like for you? Where, where did you feel lacking? And let's jump into some nuts and bolts on how we do help people. Yeah. Oh, let me first just say way to go. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just am like, because honestly, Ryan, like it's super important to just pause and point out that we can have those great intentions and think, wow, what can I do for a guy at record store? Right. Yeah. And then oftentimes we don't follow through. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I'm so happy that you did follow through. And what I think that we don't realize is especially in trial, there are doors open that aren't always open mm-hmm. at other times yeah. for relationships. So, you know, the reason you're friends with him is not just because you brought food, because he was in a vulnerable place and you shone a light in that dark place. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to always be perfect. It's just like, A, you're willing. And you went back and he was virtually a stranger, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, so that just, I mean, that is literally my favorite kind of story because <laughs> oh, it's in those moments of obedience that we are able to really shine and and put that small bit of hope and love and care in a in a dark place for someone. Mm. So that is my first thing is yay. <laughs> well, the um, truth is I, I picked it up from my mom. I just know my mom and dad, their big thing is if you're going through a crisis, they send a honey baked ham. Yep. I don't know why. <laughs> But it, you know what? It's great though, because you do, you forget to eat. And I just watched my parents do it. I didn't know what to do. I felt like I needed to help. And I thought food, I, I don't know anything else. I don't know what you like. I bought some meat ones, some vegetarian. I don't know who you are, right. but whatever it right. is, it's just something. And I think that's what you're saying. Absolutely. And I love that you talk about your parents because, you know, ultimately for me, sort of my journey of learning how to love my neighbor came from my parents. Mm. And I think that is just something that it can honestly be lacking in, in our society and in the way we parent our kids is that we don't expect them to learn how to reach out and love. You know, we, they live these sort of self-centered lives where we're doing everything and doting over them and helicoptering and providing all of the greatest, amazing things for them. But they're lost is the art of teaching and exemplifying what it looks like to mm. come alongside people in good and bad. Right. Mm. Yeah. So that part for me came from my mom too, which is why it's sweet that you would say that because it wasn't like she said it out loud, but really people came alongside our family. We had a terrible, you know, history of hardship and divorce and alcoholism and those things. And there was people that literally kept our family afloat but my mom didn't just receive, she totally gave back. And mm. I watched her, you know, she'd send me on these errands to neighbors with extra cookies. And I, of yeah. course, was like seven going, excuse me, um, aren't all those cookies for me? Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? Why are we giving away the stores from the house, right? I do that so, to my children and they totally. look up at me and mom. Oh yeah, we're we're like we're not a we're not anti sugar. We're just kind of anti sugar. But when we bake cookies, we get like one or two each, and then we give them all away. The kids just look at us like you're the worst parents in the world. Right? You're giving away perfectly good cookies. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And and I and hers would be like she had a four X recipe or something of the Toll House and her modifications and. They would line up on the counter and she would just like start bagging them up. And I'd be like, sweet, more for later. Nope. Give these to so-and-so. And Mm. so anyhow, to your point of parents modeling, I do think that is so important. And so it was modeled for me. I don't think that I did anything super amazingly special to, to become this type of person per se, but I definitely saw the importance in the way people treated our family and the way my mom treated others, even though we didn't have very much, 
she was always generous and giving in in that way. So it was definitely modeled for her. But to your question of the bed rest and the surgeries and, you know, honestly, it, it um, <laughs> when I was on bed rest, I didn't really have a true relationship with the Lord. I had sort of that obligation. I'm a Christian. I, I understand what this is all about, but it wasn't really real in, in my personal way of, wow, I get it. Mm. And mm. it was in the serving of all those people that showed up with meals um, that I didn't know well or that I knew really well. It was people that took a risk with me that came over and pulled up that visitor chair mm. and sat next to me and prayed over me. And that was really a foreign concept to me at yeah. that time. But it, it, there was a lot of really good things that people did, right? The, the ones that took the risk, that prayed, or that showed up every Sunday night with a dinner mm. for Monday night. Um, the people that watched my kids that I hardly knew, the people that came and cleaned out the fridge, and I'd sit on the couch and give them direction or <laughs> clean the front hall closet or do the laundry or offer to babysit extra for wow. free so my husband could go to the club. There were so many great things mm-hmm. that people did, right? Oh, it's totally. Um, can I ask you, was it hard to accept the help? I can mm. imagine some people that are like, there is no way I'm letting... Someone see my closet. No, <laughs> someone I know, let alone a stranger, come in and do my laundry. You kidding? That is not a chance. And what does it do for you when you need the help, you don't want people to see it necessarily, and you accept it anyway? Was it difficult? Did it change you? Very much so, yeah. And again, I I think... Part of that was a learning that was happening over time for me um, because I remember answering the door every holiday when the church showed up with the box of food for our family. Mm -hmm. And I was the one home alone at age six and seven and eight receiving that, right? And I didn't know any different because that we needed it. We got the fresh turkey, we got the box of canned goods, and the same sweet man brought it every time. But when it was my own life and my own kids and I was out of control, mm-hmm. right, which is sort of the key um, for me as a woman and as a control freak, <laughs> <laughs> I was completely out of control of my own life. So yeah. yes and yes and a hundred times yes, it was very hard to receive. I think in my situation, it might have been easier because I didn't have a choice. Right. I couldn't leave my bed. But, you know, it's so interesting because people sort of joke that how come how come it was five? I mean, I had so many episodes of lying in that bed for so many weeks and months. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, my first back surgery was 12 weeks recovery. And again, in the bed and laying there and helpless and can't lift anything heavier than a fork, you know. Oh, yeah. I I think God used it. Of course, I don't believe he made it happen or, you know, put it on me as this, ah, you're terrible. You have to, you know, you understand my theology behind all that. But I do believe he was purposeful in that time with me. He showed me about my weakness and how his power is so much greater. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was humbling. I mean, that's just really all I can say is that there is a, a deep humility born 
in receiving, and I think it's more blessed to receive than to give, because it does help us have the spirit and the heart of where God wants us to be. Yeah. You, you are in charge. That's right. You don't get to decide. Mm-hmm. You don't get to say, no, I don't need that. <laughs> like, you will receive. Yeah. And it's a, when you look at it in the context of this is a gift from God, this is a blessing being bestowed on me by people who want to care for me in mm. his name, or even not in his name, but they're still caring, you're almost like, how can you not receive it? Right. You're like rejecting him in some ways in that sense. It's a hard thing to learn. When we started Rebel Parenting just a few months ago, um, some people in our small group Bible study wanted to donate some things to the ministry. And my knee-jerk reaction was, oh, no, no, it's okay. We're fine. And <laughs> We got this. <laughs> I heard, I, it wasn't an audible voice, but I just felt the Lord going, oh, that's interesting. You're too good for your friend's money. That's, I'm surprised. You, you need money for this ministry, and here's someone offering it to you, and you're going to turn them down. Okay. I'm, and I just thought, oh, that's right, we do need this. And no, I'm not too good for my friends. And I went back and accepted it. It was very, very difficult to do, but it was a good learning process for me too. And it makes me more compassionate to others in need. This book that you've written alongside for me is really interesting because you did a lot of personal research. You went to a ton of friends and you said, I'm writing a book. These are people that have gone through hardships or the loss of loved ones or surgeries or miscarriage, all the things that people go through. And you've asked them, what was helpful? What wasn't helpful? What can people do? This is a, how did you decide you were just going to ask people those kinds of questions? I mean, that's a, it's such an interesting thing. I can't believe no one's done it before. It makes so much sense. And yet here you are, the first I've heard of it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I really couldn't find that resource. And maybe a blog post here and there, um, you know, just sort of a white paper. Mm-hmm. Lots yeah. of that going on around the Internet and blogs and maybe articles on the, in newspapers. But, um, gosh, it was kind of a mixed thing how it, how it came to be. But the reason I decided to ask other people, sort of like what you said, you kind of heard God saying, are you, are you too good for other people? What happened for me was, you know, A, I had back the back surgery, B, I had uh, the bed rest, and, uh, or, you know, sorry, in the other order. <laughs> I had bed rest, then four back surgeries, and then kind of woven through the end of the back surgeries, I had three close family and friends that were terminal. Mm-hmm. And because I had been through my own deal, I'm sure I was just more in tune, much like because you've lost, you knew how to help, the, you yeah. know, the friend at the record store. But I started... I, I loved really intensely and really deeply, and I actually lost really greatly, too, you know, mm-hmm. in those times mm-hmm. with those three people, two dear friends and one, um, my brother-in-law. And after those times, people started coming to me and saying, can you help me? I don't know what to do. You've been through this. How oh. do I do this? Yeah. And so it was in a conversation with my sister where we were talking about how, how come some people are just better at it than others? Yeah. <laughs> do we have to be naturally gifted at it? Yeah. And why are all and the people I, that are good at it not me? <laughs> right, right. And I thought, well, gosh, does it have to be so? Do you have to have gone through it? Yes, you're maybe better at it if you've gone through it. There's just no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But is that a foregone conclusion or could people be taught? And that was sort of where it started. And then I thought to myself, I could write a book on this. I, 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 hear the I in this. (laughs) 
I know so much. I know so much. And I sat down and kind of wrote out the title. And as I was sitting there, I remember it vividly. I was at my kitchen counter. I remember thinking that God just kind of tapped me on the shoulder like, stop. Can you just like stop that that tape that keeps running? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How you never stop talking and thinking and like, could you maybe include me here? And I heard it so clearly. He said, but you know so many other people who know mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. not just you. It's not just about what you know. And honestly, I will not lie. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> that <laughs> makes so much harder, yeah. right? Because right. isn't it harder when we have to take the collective voice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When we have to incorporate other people, when we have to be open to hearing what they might say it could be different than what I think or yeah. what I know. I, I, I. And... Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It, it, that was a little bit hard for me because I was ready to just chew, be done. Like I could see the end mm. in sight. I can write this, my angle, my story, my, my, my. And I just felt like God said, nope, you know other people. And so I just opened up my inbox. I opened up an email and I just started thinking of all the people that I knew that had lost a loved one, that had Mm. lived through cancer, that had been divorced, that had had unemployment, foreclosure. I mean, you name it. name it. Infertility. Everything. So what did they say? What what was the big things that you, like your takeaways? Oh, gosh. So I was pretty nervous, right? And I sent the email, and within a half an hour, I had my first response. And it was a friend who had breast cancer and had, you know, was lived to see the next, you know, she's on the other side and, um, and her, it it just poured out. The page was filled and she just, you know, she started to say, go along with them and be present and some of those things. Right. But she said, please, please write this book. Mm. Right. And so the response is just, it was just so quick that people wanted to contribute their thoughts that I thought, oh yeah, this is, confirmation. Mm -hmm. And then I really, Laura, honestly, I spent the better part of a year sitting with people, you know, at lunch or coffee or out in the park or talking, like setting phone dates for an hour where I would just take voracious notes or (sighs) whatever way I would receive their emails if they wanted to put it in writing, whatever way I could get their feedback. And I just went that with that simple, what Ryan mentioned, what was helpful and what wasn't. Mm. And it's kind of like a research project then because I had my own experience, but when theirs started coming through, I remember I went away for a whole five days and I sat with all that feedback, handwritten notes, emails, whatever it was. And I started highlighting and I basically found that so many of the same principles kept rising to the top. And so those basically became the chapters Hmm. in the book. The most common things people said, I was like, yep, that needs a whole chapter because I have 10 people that said, just be present. Mm. You know, I had 15 people that said, please do not give me your medical advice. <laughs> I had, oh, you my know, goodness. that's a good one. Hey, Sarah, right? my dad, when I was 20 years old, my dad had a massive heart attack. Mm. It was 1990. And he was being heard by 300 million people a week around the world. I got the most horrible letters from people. And Mm. here's the truth. And it's why I'm not bitter about it today. These are well-meaning people. These are people 
that believe they have the answer. They really did, but it was letters like, if your dad doesn't follow this diet starting now, he'll be dead in six months. Well, I was 19. You don't say those things to 19 year olds who, I mean, my dad was our anchor. He was the rudder of our ship. He is larger than life. And now he's in a hospital, tubes all over him. And the doctors are saying he's very close to death. And I've got people saying, if you don't give this information to your dad, he is going to die. And they put that pressure on me. It's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. You, don't do totally. that. you don't do that to children. And here's what you don't say too. You don't say, I've prayed for your dad and the Lord told me he's going to have 100% recovery. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm so glad you have a corner on the market of knowing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, one of my right? best friends in the whole world, my former co-host Tobin, his wife had a massive stroke when his daughters were 12 and I think 13 or 12 and 14. And people were saying things like that to these little tiny children of we've prayed and the Lord is going to have your mom a full 100% recovery. And I got to tell you, it hasn't happened. What has that done to the faith of those children? It's unfair. I don't mean to single them out. I don't mean to point fingers. These are two of the most amazing, fantastic kids in the entire world who I love with all of my heart. And it just, it hurts. You got to be careful what you say to people. Don't give medical advice unless you are a cardiac specialist and you have a relationship with that person which none of you are, so stop it. (laughs) Right. Well, and you bring up a great point, Ryan, because I do think there is some sort of, um, in general, it's a terrible idea. But there's, I tried to, in the book, to put together sort of this relationship tiers. Yeah. So that, and then I tried to weave throughout the whole book, these are ways to help that are appropriate to the type of relationship that you have to that person. So in the case of random strangers who are listening on the radio to your dad or to Tobin and the family, whatever, however that worked out, that's like a tier four relationship, the way I would categorize it in the book. Never met, don't know, not your place. Tier one, Ryan, you're my dad. Maybe dad, you and I should discuss this thing that I feel is important or I ran across or, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not appropriate for the type of relationship that, 99.7% of the people have with someone facing trial. And it also undermines what they're doing. Mm. And who needs that when you're already faced with so many crazy decisions and you're just doing the very best and you're following your own leadings and promptings and advice and it's not helpful. Well, it happened to my parents a couple of times and and it's what happens when you reach a certain level of celebrity. My parents hate that they do not consider themselves celebrities. They say they're just normal people. I would disagree. I think they're extraordinary people. But when right. my dad had a heart attack, the same thing happened when he had a stroke. People who love him, who mean well, came to the hospital. And they kept coming and kept coming and kept coming until the hospital finally said, hey, you got to get these people out of here. It's interfering with our ability to actually help other people. And then my poor mom, who's going through the hardest time of her life, possibly facing either the loss of her spouse and the heart attack or a spouse who's incommunicative and paralyzed on one side with a stroke to then have to have the responsibility of telling well-meaning people, it's time for you to go home. Yeah. So, and, and again, what a burden on her. It's, oh, sorry, Laura. No, no, no. It's, it's well-meaning. They're well-meaning, and I understand that. And even well-meaning people can be a pain in your rear at times. Exactly. There's so many things that come up when we start talking about this. I just, I could talk for hours, right? But 
I, there's so many things I've thought of as you were saying this. Number one is most people don't really just adhere to the simple truth that it's not about you. Okay. Mm, and yeah. they make it about themselves. How are they going to feel? They want to be seen, maybe. Mm, yeah. They, they want you to know that they've shown up. Um, they, they want to be in the know, mm, God forbid. Yeah. Um, they, they want to be, get credit or maybe it's none of those, maybe less than stellar motivations, but it could possibly be just that they don't know how to stay away because they care so deeply. Yeah. But what they forget is that it's not about what they need or want or care about. It's a, they have to put that frame of reference back on the person that is facing the crisis and their family and mm. what do they need. And um, it's so funny because this, that theme is woven throughout the whole book, as you might have seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gentle reminders all the way throughout. And there was one review that came in that said, although it's a bit wearying to keep hearing that it's not about you, most people do need that gentle reminder. And I it's thought, true. Yeah. Sure. Or less than gentle, like a two by four. It isn't about you. Mm. So that comes to mind. And then also just sort of our mentality of fixing it, right? Don't yeah. people just want to fix everything all totally. the time? Yeah, I mean, I... I... <clears throat> Husbands. <clears throat> Husbands. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Men. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, let yeah. Laura talk. I <laughs> had to learn that one. I did. Laura and I have a crazy thing. We don't do it that much anymore because I'm better at it. But for a number of years, when Laura would tell me a problem, my response would be, fix or listen. Yeah. Because some, most of the time it was just, no, just listen. And then for me, it took the pressure off of having to find a solution. Every now and then she'd go, I need you to fix this. And then, you know, if I had a tail, I'd start wagging it because it's all I want to do is fix problems. But mm -hmm. I've learned to listen. It's difficult, but you need to learn to just be present and listen. Hmm. Well, what keeps coming to mind, and I don't know if it's a question to talk about or something you've come across, but just that willingness to suffer with someone else. Um, how have you, have you seen that played out or what's your take on that in loving your neighbor? Oh gosh, it, it really is. I'm so glad you brought it up. It is just sort of my heart's, mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, right. I think of, um, and I'm not, I'm certainly no expert theologian or pastor, or, yeah, so I, I may get this wrong, but what I re am reminded of is the Jewish tradition of sitting Shiva. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. <clears throat> and we don't use that expression a lot. And but it really is, it's a powerful tradition. And there's a reason that they did it. Mm. Um, and even throughout, like in Job, you hear about it, right? The friends showed up and they just sat with so, Job in the suffering. And, and they how much didn't better, say a word. How much better would it have been if they had continued that way? Right? It's when they opened their mouths that everything went poorly. <laughs> Had exactly. they just sat there and been sad together, it would have been so amazing. <laughs> and then they open their mouths and it all goes, you know, yeah, poorly. Right. So sitting Shiva or being present and not saying anything. And so there's a couple of thoughts I have on that. Number one, it is a holy privilege. Mm. Wow. Yeah. For and sure. we don't often look at it as a privilege because our tendency is to cling to life, right? Mm -hmm. Just cling, cling, grab, fix. We can't let this be happening. Certainly this terrible, how can I make it not so? And I'll, re I'll never forget a pastor of mine, a former pastor of mine in Minnesota, had a woman in our church was, was close to dying, right? And I remember him coming back to church one day, and I was there, and he said, oh, I just had the most beautiful time 
with this woman and her whole family. We were all sitting there and just praying and talking and being. And I kind of found myself thinking, how is that beautiful? She's dying. Mm. And it was just that first revelation of in my mind, and it was probably 14 years ago, where I realized, huh, yeah, I'm clinging so much to wanting to fix it and control it and be a doer yeah. in the trauma, in the trial, in the near, you know, in the death, in the whatever experience it is, that I, it was just the beginning of me starting to learn that it isn't about that, that there is something super beautiful, holy, and it is a privilege. Mm. And yeah. when we treat it as such, God joins it, right? He blesses that when we just enter into that really hard place. Yeah, I, my, when we let it be. Yeah, my best one of my best friends, Jean Marie Jobs. She's going to be on our show coming up soon. Um, she's she has been a chaplain, I think, close to the last twelve years. And some of the stories she would come and tell me of just horrible stories, you know. And she would just mm-hmm. stand in the middle and stand in the gap with these people. And just her own willingness to suffer with them, mm-hmm. it still speaks volumes to me of how to support people when they're going through trials or trauma or things of that nature. Yeah. Be with me. Mm. It's yeah. really the, the bottom line. And, and we have to work so hard at keeping the mouth closed or <laughs> not trying to be all about doing. Even when my brother-in-law was getting to the end of his days, when people don't know what to do, they want to do something, right? Yeah. So they, I'll come and clean the fridge. I'll come and, but when you're in an end of life situation, those yeah. things are just not a priority. They're okay. not important. Mm-hmm. And I remember bringing my laptop and setting it up and sitting at the kitchen table and just staying all day. And I would ask permission, do you want me to come tomorrow to my sister? And she would say, yes, why don't you come tomorrow? And then I would come and, and then I was just there. If she needed something, she could say, I'm going to go for a walk mm-hmm. to the mailbox. Can you go upstairs and sit? Great. And then I'd go right back to my perch. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I could work. I mean, my heart was so heavy yeah. for yeah. them. It's not yeah. like I was just sitting there cranking out the emails or anything, yeah. but I just made myself look busy. And then there would be times she'd pull up the chair mm-hmm. and we would talk about some of the hard stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't like I barged in there with an agenda of like, here's all the hard stuff we have to cover today, sister. You know, I just waited for her to be ready or maybe it didn't happen. I waited for opportunities to pray if they arose. Um, And that is not easy. I am a doer by nature. And most of us are. But the presence of being there and recognizing that you have been afforded a privilege to walk into this space. Use it well. Use it wisely. Mm. Yeah. Such an honor. Oh. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's no, okay. so You're great. Perfect, We're just all sitting here bawling. It's so amazing. I know, right? It's just, yeah. mm. And be willing, right, yeah. Laura, like what you were saying. Yeah. It, and, and I don't think it has to be just like, oh, you're super at that. You're a chaplain yeah. or you're someone who wrote a book about it totally you don't have to be trained to do this people yeah i object (laughs) right i object (laughs) totally anyone yeah if you are willing if you're just willing to sit and be sad with somebody you can do a time ministry you really really can there was such a poignant um quote before we move on i'm sorry but i there was this sweet 14 year old girl that was in a friend of mine's school class 
And she pre- gave a presentation to her whole class about grief, about losing her brother. And she maybe, I think, was 12 when her brother died. And this was when she was 14. She t- spoke about it to her class, like an eighth grade English wow. class or something. And she said, um, just show up and be with me and play Xbox with me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and then the second piece of advice she had, which sort of leads into something else that people often do, but she said, and don't smush in on my grief. Mm. Don't tell me about how you lost your brother too. It okay. wasn't my brother. Yeah. And I loved her expression. I could never say it any better, but don't smush in on my grief. Mm-hmm. And so part of that being there and not saying anything and showing up and being present is you know, this one thing I heard over and over and over again, which is that people compare their situation yeah. to yours, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I call it comparative grief. And I want to say, knock it off. Yeah. <laughs> like that Bob okay. Newhart skit. Knock it off. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay. Because yeah. with the minute you open your mouth in a grieving situation and say, this, my, I lost my mom too. I know how you feel. You have robbed them of their time yep. of grieving their person. Yeah. Well, and as someone who I lost my mom in a horrific experience and, and I, as someone who people came up and shared those things with me, I know it just shut me down. Yeah. Like, really? Okay. And then you'd sit there and listen to their sob story. And, and Hey, I get yeah. it. I get it was painful for them. But when you're in the middle of it, like a week after you just lost your mom, those those aren't the stories you want to sit and listen to. But thank you for all those people that tried. I'm not bagging on you. I love you. God bless you. (laughs) Right? It's hard. There is a nuance to it, right? Because here's the thing. I believe that they're doing it in a way that they are trying to empathize. Right? That's like a natural human tendency. Oh, I want to empathize with her. So I'm going to say, I know how you feel. Yeah. But... The, the problem becomes that they, the minute they open their mouth and say, I, they've robbed you of you, mm-hmm. yes. and they're making it about themselves somehow instead of themselves. And it is innocent. It really, really totally. is. But why I want to call it to attention is because it's not hard to not do it. <laughs> it's yeah. really easy to yeah. just hear this and say, okay, next time I'm standing in that line at a funeral Mm-hmm. or standing in the back of church or standing in the grocery store or wherever where I'm trying to comfort my friend, I won't say, <sighs> I know how you feel. I'll just say, I'm, that's really hard. I'm with you. I'll try to do whatever you might need to help you. Yep. You know, a hundred things. I'm here, yeah. yeah. I'm here for you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, our story, we went through a series of miscarriages and there's a great pastor friend of mine that called after one of them and he did the pastor thing. He was trying to make me feel better and I'm a bit surly and I got, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, you've read the books, of course. Um, and at one point I just said, Hey, stop trying to make me feel better. I'm sad and I deserve to be sad. And it got real quiet and I thought, Oh, oh no. And he said, Ryan, I just don't know what to say. And I said, say you're sorry. And he goes, we are, we are so sorry. And I said, me too. And you know, it was an awkward conversation. Well, we went through another miscarriage and it was a few months later and and he called. And I remember looking at the phone thinking, I don't want to answer. I don't want to answer. I don't want to answer. And I felt like a jerk. So I answered and I said, hello. And he said, Ryan, I just heard, I'm so sorry. And we cried. Right. 
which I'm doing now. Right. And the crazy part is, I wasn't better, but I felt better because no one was pressuring me to feel better. It's such a weird oxymoron, tightrope conundrum to walk through, but because I was free to be sad, I wasn't as sad as I felt in the moment. It just, it brought me a little bit out because I got to be sad with somebody else. They said, I'm so it's like sorry. Validation and yes. permission giving yeah. is what it really feels like to me because <clears throat> we, we need it. We need permission to be sad. How silly, but yeah. we do. We need someone to tell you, Hey, it's okay. We lost Laura's mom. It's almost 12 years ago. It's going to be really sad in May again because mm-hmm. we loved her so much mm-hmm. and it's all right to be sad 12 years later. Yeah. And when someone can come alongside and say, gosh, it must still be hard. Tell me about what do you miss the most about her? Mm. Her smile. <laughs> anyway, right? sorry. Yeah. It's true. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. I want to know. I'd uh, love to hear what people, I mean. Yeah. I was going to say it earlier, but that's from the spouse's side. I do know, man, I'm a wreck right now. <laughs> yep. The people that did say those things to Laura did mean a lot. I remember on one of the anniversaries, someone wrote Laura and was like, remember that time your mom took us to that concert? (laughs) Remember that time she played Billy Idol really loud with the top down in the car? I mean, it was those that, it made you more sad and the remembrance was beautiful too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. You lost me all. Anyway. Yeah. Thanks for coming alongside of us. Yeah. It's what we appreciate it is. true. You know, and when we looked at your book, the reason why I wanted to have you on, and I'm telling you, uh, I'm going to get over this. This isn't a book review program. It really isn't. And right. when there's resource material that is so helpful, it's like a great restaurant. You have to tell your friends. I mean, it's there's a new Mediterranean place by our house, and I've told everybody about it. It's now so overcrowded, I can't get in at lunch on weekends. But <laughs> Dang! It's sti- How but dare it's, you? <laughs> I know. It's so good, though. But I go through your book, and I'm looking at the chapters respect their journey, offer specific help, be present, love with food, do without asking, listen well, give good gifts, choose wise words, think outside the box, nourish normal. And then, I mean, the special circumstances chapter, are you kidding me? When faith faith isn't shared, when you've quote, been there, when someone is aging, messy situations, Mm. terminal illnesses. I mean, we need so much help in all these areas. You've provided such a resource for our listeners. I mean, for Laura and I, when you feel helpless, you're like, what do I do? Well, I know what to do now. I'm going to pick up alongside because every chapter I go to, it's like, oh, that's a good idea. That's, yeah, that I that's can do. Helpful. That's <laughs> helpful. I can do that. That's why we, I mean, it's so exciting to have you on because as sad as I am in our loss, I do know what you said in the beginning. I wanted to re- restate it. When someone is going through a hard time, there are doors open that may never be opened again. Yes. Yeah. It is such a unique situation. It's not the situation to shove your faith down someone's throat. It's right. the time to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's the time where right. you get to be in direct communication with one of the Trinity. The Spirit right. can come to you and say, "This is now. now is the time. Now is the right. time. You know, or hey, now's not the time. Now's the time to be silent. You know, 
But exactly. It just well, I I'm humbled. I am honored and and blessed by your kind words. And <laughs> really, though, I love that you said you could open it anywhere. Because when I wrote it, I. I felt a lot of pressure to honor these people that I loved, of course, and I felt a lot of pressure to, like, get it right with all the friends that were so vulnerable, that shared so many hard things, you know. And so there's a lot of generic principles or things that came out in my words that really came from someone else, but they didn't really want to say, oh, yeah, A, B, and C people did this to me, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I was speaking on a lot of people's behalf, yeah. and when I wanted to quit because it was really hard to kind of, what I felt, this mm. pressure to make this sort of all-encompassing book that would, would not just apply to the friend with cancer or not just apply when you lost the mom, or I wanted it to be applicable to so many situations, and more than any thing I wanted to be doable yeah. and practical, which is why it's in the title. But my dream was that if you opened it to any page, that you could put your finger down, much like God's word, right? Yeah. And, and, and say, I could do this today. Yeah. And, and that's why those chapters, it's just really literal. It's really practical. It's very much open it, do it. And this is something you could do today to love a friend, help them find their normal, take them to Target invite him to coffee you know whatever it is so I just appreciate that you see that in the book and of course it means so much but it also just my greatest desire is that people would do better that they would love well and make a hard situation just a little better right and then that we just have that unique opportunity to shine and to do what Jesus commanded love your neighbor as yourself and so, the, yeah, that's my heart behind it all. And so it just blesses me that you that you can see that, see it through the pages. Well, Sarah, you are a blessing to us, absolutely. And hands down the most emotional program we've had so far. For sure. Uh, <laughs> and I'm so glad it was. I'm so glad it was. Thank you for being a part of the program. Yeah, my pleasure. And again, just I'm glad to be able to walk with you in that stuff, too, just to feel it again. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm happy to be a person that can do that with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Next time we're coming through Albuquerque, we're going to come see you. (laughs) Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Whew, Rebels. I got to be honest, I am still emotional thinking about this broadcast. What a fascinating and wonderful book. If you've ever wondered, how is it you can be there for somebody when they are going through their times of trial, when they are in their darkest hour, how can we be silent? How can we be helpful? How can we be effective? Sarah Beckman has walked this out in her life so many times and shared that struggle and those triumphs in her book alongside. Definitely pick up a copy at Amazon or wherever books are sold. We would love for you to get that book. It will definitely have a ripple effect all throughout your life. We love you all. We appreciate you listening. Thanks for sharing this with your friends. If you know someone who's in need, if you know someone that's got a family member who's in need, please, please share these programs with them. If any of our broadcasts can impact those around you, we love it when you share it with them. We appreciate it. God bless, and we'll see you next week.